Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I'm Angela. In this episode, I talk with my dear brothers in Christ, Jeremiah and Andrew, from the popular podcast, Coltish. So we get into Andrew and Jeremiah's testimonies, how they both came to know the Lord, and thus how Coltish was born. From there, we talk all about how neutrality is a myth and kind of crush some opposing worldviews from being agnostic to New Age spirituality to other religions that just simply do not have the foundation of logic and morality that Christianity does and why that worldview of Christianity is so uniquely special and different and why it truly is the one thing that makes sense. excited for this one today and I know you guys are going to be too because I have the guys from Coltish on Jeremiah and Andrew um we're gonna kind of get in today you know their testimonies of how they came to Christ I don't know if this is the first time they're like on the other side of the interview <laughs> of the interview stage but um we're gonna get into why they started Coltish um sort of like common themes that they find in their interviews and why Christianity just makes sense so I'll let you guys introduce yourselves if you want to share how you came to Christ. Yeah. Well, first of all, Angela, thank you so much for having us on. And we've been on, we've, we've had a couple of appearances here and there. We're just usually busy kind of doing our own stuff, but it's always kind of, it's always nice to kind of change positions from being the people being interviewed. So thank you again for having us on. Um, yeah, I'll just go ahead and start just for myself personally. Um, I live in here. My name is Jeremiah Roberts. I'm 41 years old. Um, in summary, in a nutshell, my testimony is that I pretty much grew up in the Christian church uh, from my youngest age, from as far back as I can remember just being a little boy. I remember my parents doing uh, family worship. There was a book specifically, if you could look it up on Amazon, they still sell. It's called Leading Little Ones to God. And like I just, whenever I look at the image of that uh, book, it just takes me right back to my childhood. I mean, my parents did a lot to try and disciple me, to, treat, to try and uh, grow me up, have me grow up in the fear of the admonition of the Lord. And so in like, there's times, I think, as a young boy, I remember sort of times where the Lord was definitely directing my steps. I remember looking at a poster that had John 3.16 uh, just written out. And I remember just being mesmerized by it, not really understanding, you know, as a kid, I can't even pronounce the word. I'm, I'm trying to pronounce begotten, like be, begotten, you know, but I'm just, the idea of having everlasting life just was like, what is that? You know, just as a young boy. And there's just other times where I saw, um, you know, there's an instance where uh, we lived in Prescott. I spent, I was actually born in California and then was there for about the first eight to nine years of my life. And then we moved to Arizona, specifically in Prescott, Arizona. And there was a time where our house burned down the night before Thanksgiving. Uh, there was a moment of providence where I really believe is one of God's angels protecting our family. Somebody showed up. Our house was on fire. Uh, somebody showed up at one o'clock in the morning when it's 18 degrees outside, helped our entire family get out, out of the house. That person was then gone. Um, and, just, and so I just remember just kind of just times of God's providence in my life. So fast forward, I the real change for me, and this kind of connected to how I got into uh, doing cultish, is that I ended up being, uh, for the majority of my life, I was homeschooled. 
And then there was a point where my mom started having health issues to where she couldn't really homeschool us anymore. They didn't want to send me to public school and they couldn't afford private school. So the perfect alternative for them was a charter school. And so I ended up going to this one place here in Mesa, Arizona, where I live now uh, called Heritage Academy. And it was a great school. You had to, you know, you had to wear uniforms. They had a lot of very, you know, moral American principles, you know, their theme was called building America's heroes. And, um, in that, however, they were uh, around the school was about 98% Mormon. So that became the real catalyst for me to really question, okay, what do I actually really believe? Because I know that they believe something different. So that got me to just reading different books. I started really digging into my Bible. Honestly, for the first time, even with growing up in the Christian church, I just took the Bible, the Bible stories. I took all those things for granted. But that was the first time where I started kind of really thinking these things through. And so where the real change was, is that it was around when I was either 16 or 17 years old, I had gone on a mission trip to Mazatlan, Mexico, uh, along with the church that I was attending at the time. And we had two different groups that had split, that would split up. We had one that would uh, do like a vacation Bible school to help train the kids there at just the, in the local areas in the barrios in Mexico. And then we had another group that would do construction work. And so I was part of the group that was doing the construction work the one day. And so all of us got back to our hotel. Of course, you know, we're, our hotel's right by the beach. So we all got on our swimsuits and jumped into the ocean. Uh, needs to say what we didn't realize is that was peak time for the riptide uh, to come out. So myself and about half of our youth group got swept out about a mile out to sea. Uh, thankfully, there were some people who are lifeguards who were very aware of the situation they were in, gave everyone guidance to get back safely. Um, I was not one of those people. Um, I ended up being, if you've ever been in those situation where the water's kind of going, is waving, you can't really see which way to swim. Well, that's what I was. I didn't know which way to swim. And I was kind of waiting it for to die down so I could see which direction to swim. And I didn't know, I started getting tired um, and I just started, it was one of the first times in my life I can remember really being genuinely scared. Like, am I going to drown or what's going to happen? Well, thankfully in God's providence, there just so happened to be two locals out there who were surfing just to, and they just happened to be in very close proximity to us. And they actually rescued myself and a few other people as well, too. In fact, we were so offshore that they actually had to get a boat to come and get us. Um, and so that night, there was a very somber uh, presence in the group, the missions group that I was at. And, you know, it, when I first, it's funny because when I first got off of the uh, back on shore, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, we're all right. You know, I was acting like really grateful and I kind of just trying to be, you know, dramatic to get attention. You know, I, like I kissed the ground of the beach, like I was on solid ground, but I was kind of doing funny and nonchalant. And so I remember just sort of being taken back and kind of realizing just how serious of a situation that we all, many of us were in. And so there was uh, someone came up named Del Gruen and he was the uh, principal of the school of, so the church that I was part of the mission group, the missions uh, trip with there was a church and there's also a Christian school attached to that. Well, Del Gruen was the, uh, was the principal of that Christian school. And he was just, if you think of anyone you've ever met that's been in the Marines, maybe like an old veteran who's just like bulky and gruff that you don't want to mess with. That's tough. It was Del Gruen. And so he got up there and just started sharing 
his vantage point uh because he is one of the people that was caught out in that riptide that in which we had to get rescued from and so he ended up really sharing that he was out there with his daughter jody and this other girl named kim they were exhausted and again this is a man who's probably in his late 50s maybe early 60s and they're exhausted so he, he's holding them up because they're exhausting he's kicking with his feet to keep them up and alive and so he had this moment where he thought it was it and his life flashed before his eyes and again this is a church just the nature there's different denominations presbyterian presbyterians they typically are very liturgistic they're not so much if you think of like charismatic churches where people are a lot more expressive in worship so expressing yourself emotionally you know and, and being very emotional about certain things this is not always the case within presbyterian churches but this guy could not really contain himself he broke down started crying in front of everyone and this is the guy who's like tough former marine del gruen and he said i'd never been so scared in my life that i was going to both make my wife a widow and she also would have lost a daughter but at the same time, though, he pulled out scripture in Psalms, and I can't remember which Psalm that it was, but it's the one Psalm that said, you've appointed my days that I should walk in them. Essentially saying that God has put me, he's going he's gonna to put me on this earth for, and allow me to complete the task for as long as possible. And he said, I knew, however, if I died, I would be in the presence of my Lord. And as someone who grew up in church and having all this intellectual knowledge of the Bible stories and the stories of Jesus. And um, even that past year going to this high school, that was 98% Mormon kind of getting into those like countercult apologetics, wondering what do I believe versus what they believe that I feel like when he told that story, it was like a kick in the chest. I couldn't really understand like why I was feeling the way that I was feeling, but I knew that the I didn't have the assurance that he had. And it began to eat away at me very, very quickly. And I realized that, my goodness, if I had drowned that night, I would have gone to hell. And I couldn't put my finger on it. It made no sense. So I, you know, I'm kind of, I always like sort of being kind of a goofy, like class clown, sort of like life of the party sort of person. Never could tell that they're just I was like, I have to go get away from everyone and I need to figure this out. So I remember like, like this was yesterday. I was going out uh, at the same hotel, <clears throat> uh, the Pato Blanco, the white duck in Spanish. And I am sitting out on the balcony and I'm looking out at the ocean and it's all dark now, except in the distance, I can almost kind of see where uh, the area where I almost drowned was. But just by, because there's lightning out in the distance. And I just remember just sort of praying like, Lord, help me figure this out. I don't know why I don't have what he has. I couldn't just figure it out. And yeah, and so it's interesting because everyone has, I think of that scripture in the Gospel of John, where it says the wind comes here or there. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the wind comes and no one where, where no one knows where it comes from, nor where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. So we all have the same gospel, but all of us have different means. I mean, you have your testimony. I have mine. Andrew has his, but it's all the same gospel. But for me, you know, there wasn't this... There wasn't like this Apostle Paul moment. There wasn't this, uh, there wasn't just like I just said a sinner's prayer 
it was all of a sudden this realization, it just hit me. And it was Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, which says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God rose him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so in that moment, I just realized that I, my whole life, all I ever had was head knowledge of, about who Jesus was. And I had to believe it in my heart. And so it was in that moment, like, it's like all of a sudden you just realize it. And then you realize that you've just realized it. And it's like, oh my gosh. And I just remember I had the best night's sleep that night because I knew who Jesus was authentically. Um, you know, and it's and it's interesting too, growing up in all sorts of different churches and being very familiar with all the, you know, certain hymns that, you know, that a lot of people are familiar with, but there's a very popular, uh, there's a very popular hymn called Holy, 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 uh, Lord God Almighty. And there's a segment where it says God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Well, I remember it was the very first time I sang a hymn or a worship song where I actually meant it. I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, this is the first time actually singing something or giving worship authentically. And I remember, I just remember this segment in Spanish. It was uh, Dos en Tres Versiones uh, Blessio Trinidad, which is just God in Three Persons, Blessed Trinity. And so, yeah, in summary, that's my testimony. You know, I'm someone who grew up in church. I thought I was a Christian just because that was my petri dish. And that's what I grew up in culturally. But God showed me that it's not just head knowledge of the Bible or head knowledge of the gospel. It's about knowing who Christ is authentically um, for, for who he is. And that's where God changed me. And that's where I was born again. That's amazing. That's a really great story. I, um, I like that you said that about head knowledge versus just knowing, because it's, it's a really key thing. And for me, I actually, so in May of 2021, I was in a car accident and it was like the kind of thing where if if I had been even like a, a, a fraction further into the road than I was, yeah, I would have been like crushed. Um, so this kid just ran a red light and this like 18 year old kid blew through it. I, I had no idea what was going on. Like I just one second I'm listening to music the next second. I'm, I'm looking around and there's smoke and I, and I, it like registers slowly. Like if you've ever been in a car accident, you know, that feeling, it's just like, what? And I'm sitting there and then some lady comes up next to me and is like, you got to get out of the car. Like it's smoking. I don't know what's going to happen. She's like, are you yeah. okay? And I was like, I think so. I think, and like, look, I'm looking down at my legs, like, okay, have my legs. Like I, I somehow I'm like holding my smoothie, like, then it's fine. It was, it was so weird. And, um, I've been thinking a lot about that accident lately because that was obviously when I was in new age spirituality and it was just, I mean, it's been over a year at this point since that accident, but if I died that day, I would have went to hell. And when I think about that, it just, it like breaks me down because it's crazy. I thought at the time that I was doing all the right things. I I knew I believed in God, even though it was the, you know, new age God. So it was really just an idol of what I created God to be rather than the authentic God, as you just spoke on. And, um, at the time I, you know, I accredited, you know, oh, my angels saved me. Like, no, God saved you. God wanted to keep you alive. And that Psalm that you just shared really resonated with me in that moment, because 
yeah, uh, he didn't want me to go. He knew, he knew that, you know, what my plans were. And I'm really, really grateful for that because my eternity is forever changed because of what happened to me seven months later when I was saved. Mm-hmm. You know, he saved me physically, but then you saved me eternally as well. So thinking about things like that, it's, um, it's humbling in hindsight. Um, yeah. Andrew, would you share your testimony, how you came to know Christ? Absolutely. And Jerry, I just got to tell you, bro, that when you gave that story just now, that was the best I've ever heard you do it, man. That felt like a Ted talk, bro. I loved it. man. I was, sitting there, I was like enamored, dude. That was, that was great, man. Uh, all, all glory to God, man. Yeah. Praise God. God is so good. So yeah, my testimony is a little bit different. Uh, I did as well grow up in a Christian household. Uh, things like I'd say, I guess in my Christian household, a wrench probably got thrown into the plans at a young age, at least on probably how my mother wanted to raise her two sons. My father passed away when I was three years old from brain cancer. But I remember even at that young age, we had a photo on the wall and it was like of a man looking like he actually it was my uncle's photo at my uncle's house because we'd go there a lot once my father passed away. It was my dad's brother. And it's a photo of a man hugging somebody and it's like in the clouds. And I always thought, well, this is Jesus hugging my father. Like my father's in heaven. And one day I'll see him again. I was going to uh, just a regular, let's say uh, daycare. But from there I went to like a private Christian school uh, in first grade. And I knew what the gospel was at a young age. I'd say around five or six, I knew that God saved me from my sins. I knew I was not a good person, uh, which is really interesting. But I think when you're young and you face maybe like, you know, your parents dying or someone being taken from you, it makes you question the things of reality uh, at a younger age, if that makes sense. And I knew my only comfort was in the fact that I'll see my dad again one day, but the only way I'm going to be able to see him is through Jesus. But uh, anyways, my mom ended up getting remarried. Uh, I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. Eight years old, we moved to Albuquerque. My mom got remarried when I was five. Uh, in Albuquerque, I was still going to a Christian school. I went from Calvary Chapel to this other place called uh, Albuquerque Christian School. And when I was around 10 or 11 years old, uh, my mom and my stepdad at the time got separated. Uh, he started doing things that were not biblical. Uh, and I'm the one who found him doing those things. So I went and told my mother. Uh, after that, we went from Albuquerque. My mom got a job in Phoenix, Arizona. So flash to 2003. Uh, if someone wants to do the math, I was 13 years old and I'm living in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm with my mom and my two brothers, and I get sent to a just a a public charter school. Essentially, the school I went to was the school where if you get kicked out of a regular public school, you go to this school. What was cool though is it was a performing arts high school, so there was like electric guitar class, drum class, drama, there was dance, all that kind of interesting stuff. But I went from going strictly to Christian schools, going to youth groups, you know, every Wednesday and church every single Sunday into a world to where now I was no longer in a local church. Uh, I was in a public charter school around uh, people that were not Christian, right? So from eighth grade into high school, I went to the same school. I actually got uh, expelled in ninth grade. I was doing uh, hardcore drugs by the time I was about uh, 14 years old. Uh, I fell into uh, let's just say not necessarily drug addiction, but trying to cope with things in my life through medication, not in, in with God, because I was not part of a local body anymore. I actually went from loving God to wanting to hurt God, never denying his existence, never denying the fact that I was a sinner, but I was angry. I was like an angry, angsty teenager, uh, confused doing things that I should not have been doing. Uh, so I backslid, you know, I'm like the prodigal son in a way, really bad one, one that deserves 
uh, death for the things that I did when I was a, a teenager. But at the same time, I'm going to school, going to parties uh, every single weekend, um, interacting with atheists, new age people, Mormons, like you name it. But at the same time, I claim to believe in God, right? I'd have conversations at parties like, hey, man, you believe you came from an ape and you're talking to me about moral things. There's no such things as morality, you know, in within your worldview. Meanwhile, I'm drunk or I'm high or I'm hallucinating. Makes no sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatsoever. But I guess apologetics came within the nature of the realm that I grew up in. I had a Christian worldview. That's what I grew up in. And uh, I wanted the people around me to know to know who Jesus was. But the way I lived and acted was the exact opposite of how Jesus would act, right? I wish there was a, if I go back in time, I wish there was a man in my life, maybe like Jerry, he'd be like my older brother mentor, just to like slap me around a little bit, be like, Andrew, you are being stupid. But um, <laughs> the Lord, the way he worked sovereignly in my life was by the time I was 18, 19, uh, I'd say more like 19, he started getting me very sick from the drugs I was doing. Like I, I couldn't do them anymore without facing massive amounts of anxiety, like throwing up in the toilet, having dreams that I was my pulling my teeth out and black things was falling out of my gums. I was very convicted of the life that I was living. And I ended up going, you know what? I want to take my faith more seriously. So I started going to a uh, private uh, Christian college called Grand Canyon University. And I was like, I'm going to go for a Christian degree right? Meanwhile, I'm a very progressive Christian at the same time. I'd say things like, I don't believe that abortion is good. I believe that it's murder, but who am I to stop somebody? These would be my arguments, right? Like I'm not going to stop them. God doesn't come down from heaven and stop them. He lets them live their life and maybe he'll intervene in their life one day and they'll believe in him. Really bad theology, because if someone's murdering somebody, we have laws in place that you need to try to help the person that's being murdered, right? But again, I had no strong man in my life, no, uh, elder or pastor or anything like that. Anyways, the Lord was very patient and kind with me. Uh, I started getting way more convicted in the things that I was doing. Uh, ended up uh, just going to some mega church out in uh, Arizona called uh, CCV Christ Church of the Valley. I think they have around like 27,000 members, believe it or not. Don't know how many of them are active, but they have like eight different satellite campuses. Uh, from there, I started getting more into my theology. I ended up graduating uh, college in 2014, and I was just chilling at work one day, uh, talking to my wife on the phone, like, you know, via text message and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to look up some Christian versus Mormon debates because I grew up with a lot of Mormons being in Phoenix. And I wanted to watch like an actual debate on YouTube while I was working. And then one of Pastor Jeff's uh, videos popped up and I was like, oh, whoa, that looks like the temple that's in Mesa. I've been to that temple many times. And then I was like, it actually is. So I started watching more of those videos. And then I found out that they had, they had a church and I was like, this is like the Lord was slowly bringing me into a difference or more fullness of the theology that works best with me. Right. Like I went from being hardcore Arminian, being staunchly against reformed theology, but the Lord was slowly changing my perception of scripture through his word and through his patience. And I said, babe, we got to go to this church. So once we did start going to this church, I told her, I was like, this is it. And it was in 2017, I believe it was like, this is the real deal. Like when we're in here, it's all, you know, it's, <laughs> we're going all out. So we started going and the Lord brought me into reformed theology. And the way I explain it is it's kind of like I was born again, again, was the feeling like the scriptures really came alive to me in that sense where my love for God was reignited again. Like when I was really young, around seven, eight years old, I was reading the Bible. I had a love for God and I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to grow close to God. I was constantly praying and things of that nature, but 
I was a prodigal son, man. You know, I made horrible decisions when I got older trying to hurt God, but God in his patience and long suffering uh, brought about a faith in me that had been challenged. And now that I feel like I have grown through it through the sovereignty of God to get into a closer relationship with him, how he used my faults for his glory and for my good in order to see and know him richer than I would have ever before. So I'm very grateful for that. But um, I wish I could pinpoint an exact spot in my life where I'd say that's when God regenerated me. I can't do that exactly. And I know some people don't have that experience. But what I do know is I am grateful for God. I'm grateful for his word. I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit dwells within me and causes me to observe his statutes, to mourn over who I was in the past, but to know at the same time that none of those happened without purpose, that nothing was meaningless. And now I have a life in which I want to devote my time to make God known so other people can have a relationship with the true and living God to have peace with him. So that's kind of where I'm at in my life now. And that's what gives me a love as well for the cults. I grew up around many uh, new age people, many like people into Eckhart Tolle and whatever, those other, uh, all those other different uh, like writers and uh, even, you know, atheists and stuff like that. It gave me a love for them and people that were in the cults. So I just, yeah, I think that's just how God uh, patiently brought me through my teenage life yeah. alive into adulthood uh, to do what I'm doing now. Thank you for sharing both of you. Um, I like hearing about people that grew up Christian because that's something that I can't personally relate to. I was raised um, under Catholicism, but not something that was taken seriously. Like I went to Catholic school on and off. I went to church sometimes, but my mom didn't really take it seriously. And she's born again now too. And when we discuss it, she says, you know, I always knew that there was something not right and I could never really pinpoint what that was, but it's, mm. she like explains it that way that I could never get us all the way in there because I just knew something was off. And, but my grandparents, you know, they loved Jesus, but they were Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, so she just kind of followed that route. But I love hearing about stories of people that grew up Christian that kind of strayed from the faith, but then come back because again, I can't relate to that. And as you describe, you know, your teenage years, Andrew, it was just, it just reminds me like, that's what teenagers do. Like they rebel against their parents. Like you were literally rebelling against your father in heaven. Um, yeah. And we, we all kind of go through that phase. I feel like, and you mentioned Calvary chapel. I go to Calvary actually. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. mm. I love it. I love it I love so much. Yeah, I was that kid where I see that thing, uh, the videos where it's like felt emo might delete. Like that was me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm jamming out to my chemical romance. Yeah. And stuff like that. Like, God, I'm so angry at you. I'm going to do bad. And yeah. Things. Ugh. Yeah. And actually, when my parents both got saved, they they got saved out of the, the whole hippie movement of the 70s. Um, and they got it plugged into uh, Calvary Chapel in California. So there's a direct connection as well, too. At least on my end, at least the West Coast Calvary Chapels, if it's the same branch i'm thinking of yeah, most likely wow. you know it'd be so cool if you could right now just like throw up a picture of jerry's dad if jerry's okay with that so everyone can see what his dad looks like and see what jerry looks like because they look like jerry's dad boom yeah well you just kind of you kind of started to talk about it andrew so you're you growing up with like this all these different worldviews like having a love for these people because I can relate to that at least like there's so many people that I know that believe so many different things and I love all of them. Now, obviously I wish they loved the truth, but is that how you kind of got into the idea of cultish? Can you guys kind of share that story, how this podcast came yeah. to be? 
Yeah, um, I guess I could kind of give my vantage point, then Andrew, you can kind of give yours. They, they they definitely coincide with each other. So it kind of goes back a little bit to my testimony. So that high school that um, I uh, went to, Heritage Academy, when I was trying to understand, okay, what do Mormons believe and what how are we different as far as me as a Christian, I ended up, it was actually my older sister who gave me this book called Letters to a Mormon Elder by James White. And the book is amazing. It's it, it essentially is a book of fictional letters written from a Christian to a Mormon missionary. So, and it covers every individual topic. And so, and so Mormons, just, you know, Mormon missionaries, they refer to themselves as elders, uh, but they're not like a biblical elder, right? So usually we'll have a church that's run, hopefully is run over by elders, plural, but usually the Mormons, uh, when they have missionaries go out, you'll either have uh, elder so-and-so, or they will be sister if they're sister, if they're, if they're female missionaries. And so each chapter, you know, the chapter one says, what is truth? Um, and then chapter two addresses what a lot of times, uh, if you ever have a conversation with someone who's Mormon will bring up, they'll say that the Bible is the word of God insofar as it's translated correctly, saying that there's many plain and precious parts that are missing from the Bible. And so the Bible's not complete. So therefore we need Latter-day Revelation. So he has a chapter addressing that. There's another chapter that talks about, okay, is there one God or are there many gods? And so it covers probably 17 or 18 chapters, but I remember just being really enamored by that book. And it kind of gave me a real foundation to have talked to my Mormon friends because I just didn't know. But thankfully, it wasn't just just a letter giving intellectual knowledge. I mean, it had that, but it did it through the format of a simulated conversation, if that makes sense. And so really what ended up happening is that just throughout my life, and even after I got one of the, so one of the distinctions as well, too, when I got saved, certainly, but prior to that, it was just for me about winning intellectual arguments um, versus when I actually came back to the same school now being saved I genuinely cared for my friends. I didn't really care about winning the argument. I didn't care about being right. I just wanted to bring that up and just share with them the truth. Like that was, I know my heart was so different with that. And I think that's also one of the real cases for countercult ministries. I mean, it talks about we tear down every single stronghold that set, us up, set itself up against the knowledge of God. And you do that. But you also have to really understand, you know, I was thinking about you, Angela, watching some of some of your old videos of when you're giving, you know, astrology readings and you're reading tarot cards. And when it talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the different principalities and forces of darkness. So when you look at that, like my, and so if I was to talk to your old self and have a discussion with you, it would not mean my battle would not be against you. It wouldn't be about refuting you. It would just be about hopefully sharing the gospel and asking questions in such a way to get you to think and, and hope that the Holy spirit would apply some, uh, what might, there might be some seeds where the Holy spirit might work in you. So really, I just always had people that were in close proximity who were in cults. And that was also in that process I got introduced to a book called Kingdom of the Cults by the late Dr. Walter Martin. Uh, he had a huge influence in uh, my thinking. So I remember as I just had started going to the that high school and I was sharing with members of my church that I've got all these, I'm going to this high school that's 98% Mormon. All the faculty and staff are from Brigham Young University. I'm having all these conversations with them 
uh, there was someone by the name of Roland Carter, a man at my church, and he handed me a copy of Kingdom of the Cults. And if any of you are listening who've had that, you who have have that book it's a pretty large volume it's not something you read in one setting but it didn't have information on on just mormonism but it had information on jehovah's witnesses the watchtower bible and tract society the worldwide church of god uh, scientology and it just had a plethora of all of these different cults including a couple of different new age cults but in that book it was giving biblical answers uh, to these uh, opposing worldviews. So it's something that was always in my mind. And so the church I attend as part is Apologia Church. Uh, some of our audience, uh, your audience might be, have seen some of us, our content on YouTube at Apologia Studios. So uh, Apologia Church, we always start, we've always had a really heart and outreach, a heart for the cults to do outreach to them. And so that's really how we started off even prior to becoming a church. It was initially Apologia Christian Ministries. So there's always been a portion of our, whenever we're doing ministry, that was always allocated towards talking to Jehovah's Witnesses and trying to document those conversations and get them up on YouTube for people to see. That's how our YouTube channel really blew up. But we were expanding where there's just a lot of other topics that both Jeff, uh, when Jill, you know, too, when Andrew was saying, uh, Pastor Jeff, he's talking about Jeff Durbin, uh, for anyone who actually knows him as far as on the on online, but they were just getting expand, they're just really had a, their, their eggs in a lot of different baskets. A quick break in the episode to ask that if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen or watch. Give it a five-star rating and written review to help get this into more people's eyes and ears and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. So because of that, there just wasn't a full and direct focus as much as there was anymore on the cults. And so Jeff had actually reached out to me and had talked about, hey, you should do some sort of ministry that's focused in on the cults, because I've just seen it's always what you're growing up about. That's always what you kind of lean towards in all the different areas of ministry at church. And so I started thinking and praying through it. And my idea that was, what if we just did a podcast that had 100% focus just in on cults? And so it was around that time that Andrew started, I mean, Andrew and I just started connecting and chatting. And so it was really the connections with our church, all going back to my school. But then also, um, I remember just seeing online, there's a couple of different documentaries, I think on Netflix, that were about people who were in different cults. One was a, a series on Scientology, I think with Leah Remini called Scientology, The Aftermath. And it was just showing all these examples of people who had experienced uh, spiritual abuse who had really been thrown into the wood chipper of sorts, uh, just being disconnected, cut off from their family. And, you know, you see people with just tears running down their face that have had their lives destroyed by this uh, wicked organization of Scientology, but they're not getting them the gospel. And that broke my heart. And I saw there's another documentary as well, too, called Holy Hell, which was about this co this cult called the Buddha Field. And it was the same thing. These people had given their lives to this man and, you know, he was doing a lot of similar new age practices. Like he was doing all these different Kundalini yoga and he was doing Reiki energy uh, healing on people. You saw them going on the ground and shaking and doing the Shakti pot, but it just kept on getting weirder and stranger. And uh, eventually a lot of these people left and they're interviewing them and you just see they're like a shell of a person 
and they're acknowledging what happened to me was awful, but they don't have the gospel. They couldn't, it was like, these people are hurting so bad, but they have no point of reference. They can't give an accounting for what happened to them. And so, you know, if you ever listen to our intro of our show, there's a part where you hear uh, the late Dr. Walter Martin say, uh, you're in a cult. I love you. I want you out of it and with Christ. And so, you know, and there, and I get it. There's times where we get negative reviews and people say, we're just a cult talking about cults or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, I truly have the conviction that neutrality is a myth. There's only two types of categories of people where people are at spiritually. There's people who are in Adam and there's people who are in Christ. And in as far as the people who are in Adam, who are under the, the dominion of darkness, that comes in many different forms and ultimately counterfeit forms of spirituality. But I believe that the existence of a counterfeit predicates the authenticity of an original and whether someone is a, what's fascinating about just all the conversations that we've had, whether it's somebody who's a former Scientologist or someone like Teresa Gentry, who was just as into the new age as you could imagine, or talking with one of Warren Jeff's former polygamist wives, or just all these, these different organizations, they're all coming from different backgrounds of counterfeit spiritual counterfeit spirituality, but they're trying, they're finding then true life that comes from the true and living God. And so, and I just have the conviction you can't approach the cults from a position of neutrality because every single time you look at the whole conversation regarding cults or counterfeit spirituality, it predicates the idea of absolute truth, that there's an absolute standard that's being violated of things that you should and should not do. But if you don't begin with a Christian worldview, you cannot give an ultimate accounting for it. So yeah, that in summary is kind of my vantage point and some of the drive and passions for doing uh, what we do. And so we're just grateful to really, it's really a blessing to be in the, in the position that we're in. Yeah, that's good, man. I love it, Jerry. Uh, it's the reality is uh, in terms of people in our existence, uh, just to piggyback of what Jerry is saying is regardless of what people say about themselves and the ways that they look for peace in, in their lives is that God is their creator. Uh, they're at enmity with God if they're not made right by Jesus Christ. And God actually tells us about these people in his word, right? He says, if you do not have saving faith, you are not at peace with God. So we have two types of people. Like Jerry said, we have people in Adam in people that are in Christ. So regardless of where people are looking for peace somewhere, regardless about even what they say about themselves or how good their lives is, when we know with God's objective standard, what we what we know as Christians is this, is they don't have peace with God. The gospel is the only way to have peace with God. The Bible is the only way to make sense of sin, of death, of life, of relationship, of love of meaning and purpose of what it even means to be human to its fullness. No other worldview can actually account logically and consistently for these things that we face in our every single day life. And not only that, no other worldview will give you a redemption that not of yourself, right? Everything else is a works, a works based salvation. You have to do X, Y, or Z. You must obtain this knowledge. You must search after this. You must, must go after that. But the Bible says, no, it never, it will never happen. You're a sinful human being. You're the posterity of Adam. You're not God. You are a creature of God, right? But God himself took on flesh 
lived the perfect life and died on the cross. He was the sacrifice for your sins, gave you his righteousness. It's imputed to you. You are justified, which is declared righteous before God through the pure righteousness of God himself. So that when you stand before God after death, the penalty of your sin has been paid. You are the righteous robes of Christ. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel is it's not works-based. What is it? It's pure humility. It's saying, guess what? I can't, I can't, but God did just like Philippians chapter two, have that mind in yourself. That was also in Christ Jesus, though he existed eternally in the form of God did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped. Instead, he took on the form of a servant. He emptied himself and was obedient to the father, obedient to the point of death on a cross. Right. And then he was resurrected from the dead, sits at the right hand of the father and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God, our father. And that's what the Bible says about relationship with God. It's solely founded upon the work of Jesus Christ in Christ alone. Every other religion, every other belief does not offer peace with God. He says, come to me, all who are heavy and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why? Because he did it, man. He was on that cross right before he died and gave up his last breath. He says, it is finished. And it's a beautiful thing. And with regards to the cults, like that's, that's like the purpose of cultish, right? Like I, I lived that existence as a teenager, uh, looking to find a solace or cathartic existence through uh, psychedelic drugs and things of that nature. Uh, I had friends where they thought that they were getting like knowledge from doing hallucinogenics, right? And I knew that that wasn't true. I knew I couldn't get that from worldly things. How can Gnostic people look to worldly means to get external knowledge? It makes no sense. It's actually logically inconsistent. But what I do understand coming from my vantage point after I started going to apology in 2017 is like, I lived through that life, you know? So God put in my heart, this reason to have an apologetic, or at least uh, an explanation of the faith for the people who are also going through those similar things. So yeah. I started digging into cult research, uh, occultic things. So I can better try to understand what I went through right. Biblically and how I can help others. And then somehow mm -hmm. or organically got me involved with uh, Jerry. Yeah. You talk about the cults and he has these questions. I'm like, bro, I've already been doing like crazy amounts of research on this. So interesting fact about cultish for anyone who's listening is like, I was never going to be literally on the podcast. Like I was just going to be a behind the scenes researcher guy. And uh, the Lord had uh, different plans uh, and it was extremely terrifying. If you ever want to listen to the first <laughs> podcast with me on it, and it's like, the, I think it's like the fifth one we ever did or six or something. Yeah. It's a with me and Jerry, the road or not the road to town. It's uh, through Jones colored glasses. Just check that out and you can hear how <laughs> terrified <laughs> we are during that, but it was extremely yeah. fun and the Lord had different plans, right? Yeah. Well, I think just real quickly, Andrew, like one of the things I love too, is that part of your past and your background, I think you emphasize it is that when you had a big portion where your identity was was in trying to find peace through taking uh, psychedelics and different psychotropic substances, which is now really becoming a huge part of our society that's really we're really being inundated by, and that's and we see all the time with all the different new age. Uh, different practices and ways being carried out is really being implemented in all with all portions of our society. People like Aubrey Marcus or Russell Brand or even Joe Rogan who are normalizing the taking of DMT and mushrooms where it doesn't lead you to good places. Um, 
you know, so I just love the fact that you're also, that's an area of passion too. When we're looking at this, you're saying like, this is, this will not end well for you. One, it's, it's spiritually dangerous, but also you are chasing after the wind. Ultimately, it's going to leave you hanging and wanting for more. Yep. It's going to leave your body sick. It's going to leave your mind sick. It's not going to help you separate between reality and illusion. Instead, you're going to mistake the illusion for reality, right? And it's going to bring you further away from God and the truth. God says to be sober minded. It's beautiful to live in the life that he has given us. Though we are sinners, we can have peace with God solely through the blood of Jesus Christ, living in the reality that I am justified, but still sin still a sinner, but I'm at peace with God. And I don't need to search for that peace uh, somewhere else in order to have some type of spiritual existence. It's a counterfeit spirituality. And it's what it is. What it is, is Colossians two, exactly what it warns about, right? It's the knowledge that's given through the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's, it's crazy to, it, 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 it sounds crazy to people who are off on that spiritual adventure and trip through their psychedelics or whatever use they're doing. But the reality is, is they're living in delusion. They're living in delusion and they need to know Jesus. Amen to that. And the whole psychedelics thing is an entirely different conversation, but you know, God would never like, oh, because people like to say, even to me, you know, well, I've experienced God through these means. And and I'm saying, no, God would never ask you to take something to literally poison your body and alter your consciousness in order to experience him. It's really as simple as getting on your knees and just asking for repentance. Like that is, that's all he would never ask you to do any of that, but you know, who would the enemy, Mm -hmm. um, And uh, yeah, everything both of you just touched on so rich, so good. Thank you so much. I love that you're saying that, you know, Christianity is not works-based and it's so true because with all these other religions, you know, Buddhism, the new age stuff, Gnosticism, all of it, it's, it's all, you know, you have to do X, Y, Z, you have to get this right. You have to work through your karma. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to meditate all these things in order to reach God. You have to kind of like climb a ladder. So it's the best way I can visualize it is you have to climb the spiritual ladder. And with Christianity, God comes down to you. Jesus literally comes to you and sits with you in the trenches and wants you exactly there. He doesn't want you to climb out of the trenches. He doesn't need you to do that. He's going to come down into the trenches with you and pull you out of that. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, people want to say like, oh, Christianity. Well, that sounds like an easy way out that God's just going to save you from your sins. Like, actually, no, because (laughs) there's nothing easy about Christianity as I'm learning every day. But it's not the easy way out to just say God's going to save you from all your sins because because all these other religions have no sense of accountability or responsibility. So that's actually the easy way out is to say that there is no sin. The easy way out is to say, I can do whatever I want because I'm just working through my karma. This is my karmic journey. You know, I'm working through past life stuff. I'm only, I'm going to reach enlightenment someday, somehow, all that stuff to actually have that accountability of Christ, of the gospel, of what God calls us to do. That is not easy by any means. It's simple, but it's not easy. So for people to say, which this has happened to me recently, say that seems like the easy way out. It's just absolutely a false, inextricably false statement. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. I mean, the truth is, is it's so not an easy way out, right? That it's the only way out, meaning this, it's so not easy for humans to do it, that it's physically and spiritually impossible for humans to do it. And that's why God took on flesh so that it could happen. I mean, Colossians 2.13 says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Who did it? God did it having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed all the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. If you want to call it an easy way out, you weren't on the cross. Mm -hmm. You weren't on the cross. Instead, you want to put yourself up in some type of atoning work in order to appease the wrath of God. But God says this, he says, your righteousness is nothing but filthy rags before him. Meaning this, that you will work your whole life to try to appease God and whatever religion you're doing. But what you're actually doing is storing up wrath because you're denying the very fact that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And that the only way out is through yeah. the work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And just to piggyback off of uh, Angel, what Andrew was saying is there's a couple of scriptures come to mind is that, you know, it was just interesting as I was looking just through again, some of the year old pod, cause we're going to be doing a podcast as well together too. Um, is that I was just listening to some of your old podcasts of when you were uh, just an astrologer and uh, to the, when you're doing to the moon and back and you constantly referenced Angela, your uh, talking about, you have to constantly find salvation within yourself. And I'm sure you'll elaborate this when you're on with us, but you've been very upfront in your podcast as well too, is that even when you're trying to preach this, self-salvation that knowledge comes from within and you have to ultimately look to yourself for forgiveness and for wholeness and do all this self-love that that creates and i've seen with other people who are in the new age it just creates this huge huge burden because your ultimate point of reference ends up being you and all of us know uh with ourselves i've been i've been in the faith for a long time I know that I am a sinful person and I I had I do not want to look to myself because I am a I am a hot mess and I have lost track of how many times I have thought about the times where I wanted my way but God said no and then said yes to something else and I was like man thank you lord I did not get my way but you had uh, quoted this at one time I'm sure you're familiar with this quote Angela this is actually from uh, Stephen Bancars's book uh, second coming from the new age. He he makes a great point when it comes to new age, uh, just ideology or theology, however you call it. And it says, if you are your own God, you are as good as it gets for you. No one can help you spiritually because no one else is your God. Only you are. Your limited experience on earth is all that you have to guide you through the mysteries of the universe, death and beyond. You have to figure out how to provide your own afterlife without even knowing uh, what happens after you die. Choosing to be your own God means that you are worshiping a being who cannot create anything new, cannot save you from death, cannot provide you any answers you already know, cannot tell you what will happen for you, cannot provide a divine meaning or plan for your life, and cannot understand anything about reality outside of a human perspective. In fact, if you are your own God, then your God cares so little for you that he or she believes you deserve nothing better than to worship a flawed and finite God who will die someday and cannot offer any firsthand perspective after death. And so the point me uh, quoting that is that what I've noticed when talking with people who have come out of the new age is that 
as much as they try and they try and put on a face, as much as they try and show they have it all together, that they're t- obtaining all of this knowledge, it always leaves them uh, empty, and they can't quite put their finger on it. So, so much of it is not really being uh, upfront and transparent. And but in contrast to that, you know, the gospel in uh, Matthew, the uh, Christ, he says, let me pull it up here, so I quote it correctly here. It says, "He who, who he who finds their life." or tries to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life and gives it up for my sake will find it. So true life doesn't come from finding yourself. True life is dying to self, being crucified with, that's why the Apostle Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. It's Christ who now lives in me. And what you see in contrast to uh, the gospel uh, of grace versus any works-based salvation, especially when it comes to, to where like your background, Angela, and you have a lot of people who who listen in who come from a new age background and perspective, is that there's always this emphasis on obtaining the secret and hidden knowledge. And whether it's actual knowledge or esoteric knowledge, it's there it's always based in that. But there's never any end and never any end any end in sight. And that's why Paul was dealing with Gnosticism during his age, during his time, and that's why he made the emphasis in Colossians chapter 2, saying that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. And his the depths and the riches of who Christ is, like they are they are unending. In fact, one of my other favorite verses, and just think about this in contrast. And I would like to maybe get your thoughts on this, Angela, because you know you're brand new in the faith. And I still look at this and I'm like, I think, oh man, I am still, I still have so much to learn. But this is from Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 33. It says, oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? How unfathomable are his ways? For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And I look at that. And then what's also interesting is that the very next chapter talks about how you're what you're supposed to do then with your body. And so when we talk about how neutrality is a myth, what ends up happening is that every single worldview, every single religion demands sacrifice, whether it was the ancient uh, the ancient paganism, you know, you look at the the Mayans, where they were demanding uh, human sacrifice to appease uh, the gods of their age, or whether uh, whatever ideology it is, there's always some element in which you have to provide your body as a sacrifice. And so what ends up happening, though, is that we do th- the biblical gospel gives you the opportunity to do that, but it's through not finding salvation in yourself, but then dealing it in such a way to where you're being sanctified and you're being brought in in conformity to Christ. And that's where true living comes from. And so also I think just a couple of other thoughts too, is that there's so many times where, and I'm guilty of it too. There's a temptation so many times to find healing and try and find peace by looking inward, looking uh, to ourself 
But in reality, I think the real area, especially for Christians and for change, and I think even for people who are brand new to the faith, and especially people who come out of the new age, just from my perspective, is that change doesn't come from looking from within, but it comes from looking outward, specifically at who Christ is and his completed work, and knowing that one day you're going to be like him. And that is actually the motivation for holiness and becoming more Christ-like. So one of my other favorite scriptures, too, is um, in 1 John chapter 3. And it says, uh, chapter in, uh, starting in verse 2, says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet that we will be. And we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we, we will see him just as he is. Talking about the hope in the future that we have. And then it says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure, right? And so what it's saying is that our hope of who we will be in Christ in the future and ultimately being glorified, that's the source of change of who we are right now in the presence. So it there isn't, you don't, you can let go of the burden of having to do hours upon hours of meditation or transcendental meditation or taking yoga or taking different psychoactive substances or just trying to do X, Y, and Z to realign your chakras. You don't have to have that burden. You can let that go. You can look to Christ. And in that, that's the real source of change of how one Christ will change your heart. But then when it comes to sanctification and dying to the old self, it's looking to him versus looking inward so yeah those are just some of my thoughts and i think that the reason and you may have noticed andrew and i whenever we, we go on we really like to emphasize just the importance of scripture because new especially uh new age is very postmodern it's very experiential and it's very much my experience becomes the authority but in reality it's not about we always have to take our our experiences regardless of how sincere they are how emotional the experience is and we have to test it by the word of god and that's where one true joy true satisfaction and really uh that's really where the ultimate source of truth is uh both in god's word but ultimately the ultimate truth which is christ 100% you know that's that's was really important to me when I started this podcast is being making sure that what I'm talking about is coming from scripture and not just me. And people are like, can't you come out with more episodes? I want more and more and more. I'm like, do you understand that I put so much time into this because I have to go back to scripture continuously? Whereas with my old podcast, it was just like me sitting there, just bleh, just like spitting my truth, you know, yeah. whatever that means. Um, because it really is so important to not lean on your own understanding, as gospel tells us. Um, you touched on so many good things. I'm trying to like remember where I wanted to jump to. But um, first of all, the book of Romans, I sat I sat down for that to just start it a couple a couple months ago, just to uh -huh. start it. And I ended up reading the entire thing because it was absolutely captivating. Like the most yeah. like the most beautiful writing. I've ever consumed in my life. I just, I am enamored by that book and that gospel. Um, Can I ask you, I'm just curious, what, what, what part of Romans stuck out to you? All of chapter eight. Hmm. Um, I'm yeah. Big. Let me see if I can um, bring up one of my favorite verses from that. But um, yeah, when you, you're speaking about neutrality being a myth. Yes. 
I love that so much. I've that has been actually repeating itself to me lately. That came up in church. My pastor was talking about how, you know, the reason that Christianity triggers so many people is because there is no neutrality with it. You can't just kind of sit on the fence with Jesus because Jesus himself made these radical claims. Like in mm-hmm. church, we're going through the gospel of John and, you know, he's saying things like, uh, you're, you know, to Nicodemus, like your religious works don't matter. You got to come to me. And he's saying, I'm the bread of life. He's telling these people, you have to, you know, eat my, of my flesh and of my blood. He's making such radical claims that us as his followers, when we are sharing the gospel and evangelizing that we are emulating that radical, that radicalism of Christ. And so it's going to come, people are either going to eat it up or they're going to reject it instantly because you just can't be neutral with Jesus. You just right. can't be. It's, he's he's hmm. too radical. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful because also what it shows is it shows the people who pretend to be neutral are feigning neutrality because like you said, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. But if someone comes and says, no, that's not true, they're no longer being neutral because <clears throat> I'm saying you're wrong. Although they like to feign neutrality they're logically inconsistent and they have to deal with the claims of Jesus, which is beautiful. Can I tell you my favorite section from Romans real quick? Romans eight. Sure. Romans 8? Okay. Romans eight thirty seven. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's my favorite part. It's the end of the chapter. It's so good. What I mm. just found from Romans eight, um, I remember highlighting this, underlining it, uh, Romans eight, five for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, Amen. And then. And then Romans 12, where it talks about, you know, be not, you know, be transformed by, I don't know exactly how it goes. Do you know that off the top of your head? You know which verse I'm talking yeah. about? Romans 12 two. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, acceptable and perfect. And I think Romans eight, like that sticking out to you, I think makes perfect sense because apart from God, a lot of people who are in the new age like to say that they're very spiritual right? But mm-hmm. what Romans 8 is actually saying is that, no, you're carnal. You're actually right. fleshly. Everything you're doing is at enmity with God. But the way to actually be spiritual and truly spiritual is only through the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit right. into you. That's it. I can see why that sticks out. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. And just like one example too, when you talk about how neutral neutrality being a myth, I know you did a recent episode on the music industry. Um, and so I think just one example is that you'll see people like uh kendrick lamar or even just throughout if you look at the cover of rolling stone i've lost count of how many times they try to be provocative by doing something to make fun of christ you know whether they have a crown of thorns over him over them or they're just doing something to blaspheme but he's the only religious leader who gets that credit and so you know all the times where there's family guy or all these other shows that mock christ well when are you going to do one that makes fun of muhammad or makes fun of krishna Right. I'm still waiting. Name me one Hollywood production or one music artist that's going to do something where they mock Muhammad. Like they're not going to do it. 
Um, and also, if you think of any production, any TV show, any movie that's come out, like when is the only, how come Jesus is the only person that gets used as a, as a cuss word? Not anyone else. I think that's just a one small example where you don't see uh, the aspect of neutrality. But, you know, a lot of times just in the whole conversation, you know, I think uh, recently with Roe v. Wade being overturned, you know, and people are saying, don't don't force your morality on me. But in re- but there's no way you can be neutral of that mm-hmm. if you're truly honest. It's not about whether or not you're going to enforce morality, but which morality you're going to enforce. And, you know, people will say, oh, if you're teaching uh, the kids, if you're teaching their children that the child that uh, the Bible is true and that Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so that that's that's indoctrinating them. That's indoctrinating them. And that's and that's immoral. The same people who are okay with now drag shows being taking their kids to drag shows or putting their 12 year olds on puberty blockers, you know, exactly. And so that's Right. And but they're coming from that point. They're they're assuming a specific moral and immoral ethic. So they're so a lot of times what happens is that the unbeliever will approach these topics, whether it's, for example, we're talking about new age spirituality or just there's different social issues going on, and they'll act like you're the one who's the extremist. You're the one who's pushing a morality and ethic all the time. What they're what they're doing is that they're actually they're standing because they have what they're trying to do ultimately is that they're trying to get into the car of Christianity and grab the steering wheel and drive it off the road because they have no car to drive of their own. They're trying they're they're they they can't give an ultimate accounting for where morality comes from. So they essentially end up doing what is said in the book of Judges where they do what's right in their own eyes. So in the same way, when we get criticize that we are just a cult talking about other cults a lot of times they'll look at someone there's a really well-known expert on the cults and there's actually have a lot of appreciation for the work that he's done his name is uh, steve hassan and he has a book called combating cult mind control uh, another one called freedom of mind and in it he gives a bite a model called the bite model which he essentially calls it behavior control information control thought control and emotional control and so a lot of times people will look at that bite model as the ultimate standard and ethic behind whether or not something is a cult but then you have to ask the question okay behavior control is wrong says who what's information control is wrong says who what's wrong to withhold information from someone or or to not tell them the whole truth or to have thought or be in a relationship where you have, and this is not just a cult, it can happen in a domestic situation, especially with domestic violence, thought control and emotional control. Well, well, says who, by what standard, where are you giving it? How do you give an accounting for why that is wrong? So the unbeliever, they can, they can articulate that those characteristics or those ethics are wrong, but they can't give an ultimate accounting for it because they've rejected God and his word. And what you end up, what will end up happening is that once you give the believer, you just let the unbeliever talk, you realize that they end up being reduced to absurdity because they end up with very subjective reasoning and usually end up refuting themselves when they have to account for those ethics that only can come from God. 100%. I, um, that quote that you shared by Stephen Bankars, that Bankars, I, 
actually quoted that at the very beginning of my last moon and back episode where I told everybody, yeah. Hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I used that quote and actually somebody um, said to me, I don't like that. You said this wasn't even like a new age person. This is just somebody that's identifies as agnostic, um, which I want to talk to you about in a minute, but they were like, well, that seemed really offensive. That seemed really disrespectful. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, using your own self as the kind of parameter of how to navigate through life. I'm all I've ever had. I'm the person that's been walking through this existence by myself. Like I'm, I'm it, you know, kind of thing. And saying that me now adopting this Christian mindset is coming off as me judging people or me being disrespectful of other people. And so that kind of ties into recently how people have been saying to me, and I don't know if you ever get this, I'm sure you do. People are saying to me, you know, why do you talk about politics? Why do you talk about like stuff like abortion? Why do you, why did you do that episode on the music industry? Why are you giving all this attention to all of these you know, dark things, you know, and so it reminds me of Ephesians 5.11, where it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Another quick break in this episode to remind you that you can donate to the Heaven and Healing podcast ministry at donorbox.org slash heaven dash healing dash podcast dash ministry. I will leave that in the show notes. And if that doesn't work, you can always directly Venmo me if you do feel called to do so. My Venmo is at Angela Marie Yucci, which is the spelling of my Instagram, and I will leave that in the show notes as well. 100% of the donations go straight into the time, energy, and maintenance of Heaven and Healing podcast, and every donation is greatly appreciated. If you can't donate, all I ask is that you say a prayer. Thank you so much. So we're called to actually talk about these things. We're called to tell people you're not your own God. We're called to tell yeah. people, hey, everything in society demonizes Christ for a reason. Like you just said, you know, like TV shows and why do people say Jesus Christ, you know, instead of Buddha, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which by the yeah. way, when people say Jesus Christ, I'll go, is our Lord and Savior. So like, yeah, but um. Yeah, it's just we're called to expose these things, not to just kind of be passive. There, there's no passive, there's no room to be passive with Christianity or really with anything in life if you're if you're serious about it, if you understand mm. what truth means. So it's not, it's never about disrespect. It's never about coming down on other people or thinking that we're better yeah. than other people. It's exposing what is unfruitful. Mm -hmm. because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Yeah. No, amen. I, amen, Angela. And I think one of the things, too, when we, when we again, we're talking about the area of uh, neutrality being a myth, is that in even the whole conversation, where, you know, about uh, transgender, now with both the uh, gay and transgender movement, and now with the drag shows, what a lot of times people, there'll be accounts, I think it's called Libs of TikTok, where it just shows all the craziness and everyone's being everyone's angry at it i but i think that a website like that is ultimately falling short of really calling it for what it is because they're just getting everyone outraged but no one's like where's the source of all this and so what's fascinating and i actually just realized this as well too is that in romans so going back to the book of romans so the apostle paul he gave his whole resume in Philippians chapter two. I mean, he was a scribe of scribes, Pharisee of the Pharisees. And when it came to knowing 
the Torah and every aspect of the law. He was he had all the credit. He had all the Harvard and Princeton uh, and Oxford credentials. You name it, like he knew it. And so at first he had a real burden for his Jewish brethren, but eventually you know they were rejecting the gospel and he shook the dust off his feet. And he goes, from now on, he says, I'm going to just preach the gospel to the Gentiles. This is the apostle Paul. And so, and in Romans chapter one is really his Paul's doctoral thesis of just his experience dealing with pagan cultures, bringing the gospel into pagan cultures. And so in Romans chapter one is starting in Romans one eighteen when he talks about how the wrath of God is being revealed to all those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He gives a progressive order, and he says the very first thing that people do, they exchange the truth of God for a lie, right? Mm-hmm. And then the very next thing that happens, and this is every single New Age worldview or occultic worldview, it's oneism. They worship the creation rather than the creator. So that the worship gets misplaced. And then immediately what you see is people are being given over to a debased mind and to debased thinking. And the immediate byproduct of that is an immediate distortion, progressive distortion of God's created order between male and female. So you'll see that and you see that carried out. That's why there's such a huge emphasis in any new age practitioner of exposing the divine, uh, revealing the divine feminine. You've had podcasts where you talk about that. But when you look at what's going on in our society, it's a direct result, the source of it. And the answer to it is not just appealing to biology. That's not the source. The real answer is realizing that this is an issue of, it's a worship issue. People are worshiping themselves. They're worshiping the creation rather than God. That's where this these distort these gender distortions and really ultimately sexual distortions are coming from. And that's why, and if you are trying to uh, approach it from any other view, you end up just having just you become a clinging gong. And and I hate to I'm gonna be a little bit crass here, but a lot of the conservative sites that are out there that are just posing stuff just to get people riled up, I call it outrage porn. Like you just like all it is like you're angry at this, but you're not giving an ultimate solution. Like what does the word of God have to say with this? When it comes to being having no neutrality, we have to realize. And Andrew, I'll, I'll let you uh, jump in as well too. Is that the the lordship of Christ has the right has everything to say over who we are as people, what we can and can't do. Uh, it has it has authority. Uh, the lordship of Christ has authority over gender. It has authority over uh, what murder is, when life begins. It also has authority over science, mathematics. There isn't one area of the universe or one area of knowledge to which Christ does not say, "This is mine. I have dominion over this," and 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 that's and as Christians, we have a responsibility to live as such, but also to let the unbeliever know that they are not neutral as well. Dude, can I piggyback off that? Because it's the perfect Go for it, man. I was talking about. Yeah, I had to move my head and stuff. My son was popping in the door. I'm like, poke it out of here. But um, it's perfect because as Christians, we must understand, uh, and those who are not Christians, we must understand that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what exactly does that mean? Is exactly what Jerry said. He has the lordship over it all. Okay. It says in Matthew 28, 18 uh through 20. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the end of the book of Matthew. This is at the trans, like Jesus is leaving. He's leaving his people now, leaving them with this statement. He's telling them to baptize the nations, to teach them to obey, obey what? The word of God. So in reality is this, we all search for some form of morality, right? Yet we don't have the wisdom to discern between what is truly right or truly wrong. I mean, we our, our forefathers, Adam and Eve, took from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They took from it. In that, they gained a knowledge of good and evil, but they did not have the wisdom now to dis discern between what was right and what is wrong. And all worldly knowledge in Adam, right, is not knowledge that is coming from God. It's you trying to make it your own way to figure out what is right. So when someone is looking for morality in the first place, it's because why? They're made in the image of God. It's a very proof to the beginning of the Bible. God says he made man in his image. I understand, right? The new age person, uh, the Buddhist, uh, the whatever person they are, if they talk about morality, I get it. I know that you care about it, even though you may not have the ability to actually logically make sense of it. I know you care about it because why? You're made in the image of God, but guess what? You're just searching for it in the wrong place. And Jesus Christ is the truth. Knowledge and law comes from him and his character. And this is what it says about Jesus too, at his ascension, going to sit at the right hand of the father. It says this in Daniel chapter seven, in terms of prophecy about what was going to happen with Jesus. It says this, it says, Daniel seven thirteen. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him. This is talking about Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which not which shall not pass away. Then this is where I'm going. So if you want to live the opposite of what Christ says, the way that you should live, if you think you're being autonomous, right, by changing your gender, quote unquote, or going after the things God says you should not, well, Romans, actually, Romans 1 actually says the opposite. It says that you're not living autonomously. It's actually that God is handing you over to your sin and he is judging the nations because he is king of kings and lord of lords. He's handing you over. You're still a tool in his hand like Pharaoh was as well. It says that chain was loosened with Pharaoh and he let him go to his sin and the nation of Egypt was made a public spectacle in front of all of the nations because God did what? He made a public spectacle of them. But right now, Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you want to disobey what he says, you're going to face judgment. And if you don't think our nation is in judgment right now because we're not obeying Christ, we're living in delusion. Again, in all reality, the reason why the Christian wants to go and preach the gospel to the nations is number one. We can have personal redemption with Jesus. Love God. Number two, we can actually then love our neighbors. I submit to you, any other religion out there that thinks that they truly love their neighbor, you can't without first loving God. The, the two tables of the Ten Commandments, love God, love neighbor. Look them up. You first have to truly yeah. love God in order to love your neighbor. That's why Christians mm -hmm. are the salt and the light to the world. Yeah, It's a preservative. Yeah, and Angela, I just uh, I'll I'll jump back to you, but um, I just I remember that just sticking out in some of your earlier uh, podcasts to the Moon and Beck podcast, where you were having to say, well, you can't you have to love yourself first, and then that will allow you to then be able to give to others, which is the quintessential opposite of what Christ says. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm sure that's been that's been a huge growth for you as well too. 100%. Um, 
because I mean, it's, it's a house of cards to say that ultimately. And, and for me to sit there and say that, Oh, love yourself. You have to fill your own cup. I didn't love myself at all. I mean, I, I still don't love myself. I have more respect for myself now because I'm following in, you know, the shadow of the cross, but I did not love myself by any means. And a lot of people in new age, I really, I really don't think they love themselves. I think, I think that there's a difference between loving yourself and being comfortable in your sin and being blissfully unaware of that's exactly what it is, you know, because there's some people that I, I know from that time in my life that do give off this, this, um, this aura that they are totally content, 100% content and happy yeah. and love themselves. But then at the same time, you know, they have a weed vice. Um, and, you know, it, again, it's not necessarily that you love yourself. It's just that you are comfortable in sin and, and the enemy will let you sit there in that sin. And so will God, like you just said, he'll hand it over. He'll hand you over to it. You can kind of sit in this prison and it looks like all plushy and pink and, and feels great, but it's still a prison ultimately. And the door's right there. But why would you ever leave when it's, when it's cushiony and, and comfortable in here? And then yeah. one day that door closes and you realize, oh, it is, it's hell. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this kind of, as we talk about, you know, neutrality being a myth and all this, I, I keep thinking about agnostics and kind of that yeah. apathetic attitude. And I was hoping that you could kind of speak on that because there are agnostic people that I know that, that have that very apathetic attitude. And I, I can't understand it because even when I was in new age, I was not neutral. And like, we keep talking about all these cults, those people were not neutral in, in or out of the cult. There is no neutrality. So people that say like, well, who can be sure I'll find out when I die, you know, nothing, mm. it doesn't, it doesn't really matter one way or another. I'm here. All I know is now, all I know is, you know, I want to wake up tomorrow. I want to do the best I can for my future. What do you say to that kind of attitude? Well, it just well. Here's an example that of knowledge of neutrality being a myth is that even for someone who's agnostic, who was probably saying, "Well, ultimately, we can't know for sure, right?" And usually, they have to. They'll say, "All right, well, there is a God, but we can't really know who He is or where He's at." Well, in them actually making that statement and opening their mouth, they're making a knowledge claim in and of themselves. So already off the get go, they've are they've already feuded themselves. And so you, I think you have to just, one, it, this requires tact because this is not about just trying to rile them up or make them upset, but it's trying to show them that they can't, they can't escape from imaging God. And because immediately what, the, what you'll end up seeing a lot of times when you're talking to someone who is agnostic or even atheist, they'll, they, they will say that truth can't be known, and, but yet they're making a truth claim. And usually they will have all these moral outcries about this, that, and the other, right? And so they'll say that ultimately, ultimate, it's unresolved. It can never be resolved. But then they talk, but they never act as if it's been unresolved because they could have, a lot of them could have, they'd be justified in having a worldview where they can say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Like that's a consistent worldview to have if you're agnostic or atheist but what she'll end up seeing is a lot of them they'll look at even what's going on in the world right now there's a lot of uncertainty of what's going on you know in the political realm in the world realm um you know a lot of things to be concerned about uh and people will have more like a lot of times moral outcries but w where 
are they getting that ultimate ethic from? If it's just here we are, if all we are just bags of protoplasm just bouncing off of each other and all our thoughts are just neurons firing, you know, there's a say I heard one one time a pastor say that if all if there is no God and if there is no absolute standard, really what's happening when we're having a con- we're having a conversation with each other, Angela, it's that my brain is fizzing and it's firing off neurons. All right. And your brain is firing off neurons. So think about this. If you were to take a bottle of Dr. Pepper and a bottle of a two liter of Sprite and to shake them up and let them go and let them fizz, does it make sense to call one true and the other false? Right. And so in that, as you talk to them and unravel them, you know, you need to realize, like I said, neutrality is a myth, realizing let God be true and every, every man a liar that they are imaging God and what scripture says about them is true. A lot of times what ends up happening is that we will talk to the unbeliever, we'll approach the unbeliever and they'll say, well, why don't believe in God? Why well, think Jesus is a myth? I think you're brainwashed immediately. We're like, Oh no. Oh, what do we do? What do we do? We have to try and go on their ground and, and work on their moral, their ethic. But when that happens, that means that we're, we're doubting what God is saying and we're almost emulating. We have to be careful because then we're emulating, you know, the, we're falling into the lie that the enemy gave half God really said. So we cannot escape. We cannot abandon what God says about the unbeliever uh, in order to try and appease them. So you have to stick to your ground, realize that neutrality is a myth, show the areas in which they image God, but ultimately show that they still need to have Christ because ultimately you can't, apart from the true and living God, you can't give an ultimate accounting for ethics, uh, for reason, to or even for knowledge. Uh, all the preconditions of intelligibility in which to even articulate argumentation that can you can only give that an accounting for that uh within the christian worldview uh andrew what are your thoughts man yeah it's it's perfect man like it's kind of like what i was saying at the beginning regardless of what someone says about themselves i believe what god says about them over what they say about themselves right god says that they do not have peace with him and the only way to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And just like Jerry was talking about with the image of God, regardless of their position, we know they're made in the image of God. So appeal to the image of God in them and give them the gospel, right? Does the Bible say your strong and cunning words and slick argumentation saves people's souls? No. It says the gospel of God is the power of God for salvation. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. They don't have peace with God. Here's the answer. Let's give them the gospel. Right. And it's good to understand, of course, uh, logic and some philosophical argumentation in order to hold a conversation. But that's not the point of the conversation. Right. Agnostic literally means without knowledge. If you're talking to somebody who makes a knowledge claim saying they're agnostic, hold their feet to the fire. If they make a knowledge claim, say you, you said you're agnostic. You don't you can't know that. Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? Because you can't be absolutely, absolutely sure. But again, they're made in the image of God. You cannot live logically consistently with that worldview in God's universe. So appeal to the image of God in them, preach to them the gospel. That's your job, Christian. Mm -hmm. That is your job. Not to lop heads off, right? But to love God, love neighbor, preach the gospel. That's it. That's so good. 
Well, you guys shared a lot. Um, really, really valuable stuff. And thank you so much for doing this with me. Um, as we oh, thank you. Kind of, it's a pleasure. Yeah, as we awesome. kind of start to uh, wrap up here, would you share maybe just like a couple final thoughts? Because we've talked really extensively as to just kind of highlighted why um, everything else doesn't make sense. So what are your kind of final thoughts on why Christianity really does make make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this and I know just kind of given your background, you you have a lot of people who are looking, probably looking at you either as watching now the Angela, the former astrologer, or maybe there's people who still f- had followed you when you're practicing astrology and we're looking at uh, who are just looking at you like through that lens. So I'm going to try and maybe just like address it to them. So I, I'm, again, I'm 41 years old. I grew up in the Christian, you know, I grew up in the Christian church and it's always interesting to see the whole conversation surrounding deconstruction uh, the deconstruction movement, and for anyone not familiar with that, these are people who grew up in the evangelical churches, and they essentially have abandoned the faith. They've they've apostatized, and it's almost a whole movement that has come out of it. And you know, and they give all their reasons for this, that, and the other. A lot of times, there's people in the in the church who are hypocrites, or who were uh, not doing something appropriately. And and given no church is perfect, and there's going to be leaders who fall short, and Thankfully, we actually have standards in the Word of God as far as what you should and shouldn't do, how a church shouldn't be operated, for example. But what I just find amazing is that I see so many people, even people that I grew up with, people who I've done Bible studies with, that I've done ministry shoulder to shoulder with, who have now abandoned Christ, and they they just want nothing to do with Him, and they're either atheist, agnostic, or they're, they become a, a progressive Christian. What I find incredible, and I see really a parable of people like yourself, Angela, and others who have come to, now for those of you who have didn't grow up in the church or didn't really have a Christian background, who have come to Christ out of the new age, I see a parallel with the parable of the pearl of great price, where I see someone who's buried this pearl of great price and not really thought much of it. And then someone else who digs it up and they see it as their treasure, as their all in all. And so what I see, and I'll just say from a from a Christian perspective, and again, I didn't have a background being in the New Age, but I see this is that like I see the scriptures about who God is. Now He is He is the source, and uh, He is our only true ultimate source of satisfaction. And I feel like in my personal experience, I haven't seen a better example than that of people who come out of the new age and they find Christ. So you look at scriptures like in Psalm 1611, where God says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Um, And even, you know, like in Matthew, when Jesus says, like, come unto me, like ye who are weary laden and and I'll give you rest. And in me, you will find like rest for your souls. And to just really see the promises of what scripture says about who God is. And to just see people like yourself or people like, I think, uh, Doreen Virtue or Jessica Torres or just anybody you've had conversations with or people that, you know, we've talked with on our end. That is just the one commonality is that like, it's like I'm watching in real time, you know, people who have thrown their faith to the wayside but people like yourselves who are just finding 
the truth of the gospel and God for who he is and are just drinking it up like you found an oasis in a desert way after crawling through the, the Sahara Desert. And I think ultimately it does come from neutrality not being a myth. I'll say this is that uh, in John 3.13, oh, actually, you know, you talked about this as well, too, when you were pursuing tarot and uh, astrology and, and tarot card readings and yoga and everything that you were doing, you were trying to ascend, right? But you're living in a worldview of oneism where all is self. So if you pre, if when all is self, there's no distinct, there's not really any distinctions between you, your cats, your microphone, anything else. It's all just vague, abstract energy. And so what what ends up happening is that you want to ascend, but there's nowhere to ascend to because all is self. So it ends up being in this vicious cycle. That's why there's so many people who might listen to this podcast now. Like you know that you've been you've been on this hamster wheel going to festival after healing conference and no matter how many Reiki energy healings you've done, no matter how many yoga retreats you've done, it's just it's not enough. And there's only one way uh, to ascend, uh, and that's to submit yourself to the only one who ever has ascended. And that isn't so in John 3.13, uh, it says, uh, no one has ever has gone into heaven or has ascended to heaven except the one who has ascended from heaven, which is the Son of Man. So Christ is the one who ascended into the heavens, and he is the one who's our perfect meter by dying on a cross for us, who's our great high priest. And he is the one who has perfectly ascended. So the way, the only way you can do that is to submit yourself to him. And, and I can tell you this, and again, I'm, I'm sort of maybe appealing to the experiential side of it, but take anyone who's listening. And I would say, take a look at the gospel of John, just see it for what it is. And then pray, pray to God to reveal himself to you. And God promised that he will show up as someone humbly submits himself to them in that light. So I, I'm going to, I think I'm, I'm hitting from maybe the, maybe the new at your, your audience that maybe it's coming from an experiential standpoint. I think that's where my heart's at. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, I'd say Christianity is the only logical form of reason because of this, that Christ is the pinnacle of all existence, right? It says this in Colossians, it says in Colossians one twenty six, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? The mystery that was, that was hidden was Jesus Christ in his incarnation, taking on flesh is a life, death, burial, and a resurrection in that all true reason in forms of existence are there. Meaning this, right? Apart from Christ, you have none of it. Why is that? Because Christ, as it says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, this is Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. All things were created through him. There was nothing that came into being unless it was created for Jesus, right? So meaning this, your life, all of your existence is not about you. It's not about you. It's really not. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. You can't understand history. You can't understand human experience. You can't understand why you live, why you die apart from Christ. To believe anything other than what Jesus says about your life is to live in delusion. You're not going to be logically consistent with yourself. He is the only way to have life. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do I say this from my own sense experience that is subjective to others? No. 
I say it through the objective word of God, which are the words of God given to us as a grace and mercy in order to live a life where we're not living in delusion. Adam and Eve took from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they spun a web to all of their posterity of confusion. But God, rich in mercy, took on flesh, died on the cross, gave us his word in order to have a relationship with him, to walk in communion with God, to live a life that a human was supposed to live, how we were created to take biblical dominion and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Apart from God, you will not have peace with God and you will not truly be able to love those around you. You may try, you may try, but you will not be consistent according to the worldview that you suppose that you believe in. The Bible is the only way. God's word is the only way, but to know God, it literally takes God himself to take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh so that he can cause you to love the things of the Lord. Why? Because we are fallen, sinful human beings. It says in Romans chapter three, no one seeks God. No one understands God. All have gone astray. The venom of asps is under our lips. Our throats are an open grave. Nobody understands him. It took God in the flesh to make us have a relationship with him. It's, it's a serious thing. Apart from him, we cannot be consistent in our worldview. Though I am a Christian, I am still a sinner. But I am saved despite of my sinfulness. And one day I will be in a relationship with the one who created me. As a creature, I'm not God. As a creature created to live in a way in which God designed, in his mercy, shows me how I was to be made. So I can understand what it means to be human, what it means to be alive what it means to die, and then what it means to be in relationship with my creator again. Christianity is the only way to actually have a logical existence because God is the one who created you, and he is the one who defines exactly who we are and how we are to live. Yeah. It's a little, different, a little different angle, but yeah. Yeah. Perfect way to close out. Um, so I always end the episode in prayer. Would one of you or both of you do the honor of closing us out with that? Yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and just open up and then Andrew, do you want to close out? Sure. Awesome. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity uh, to be uh, the, do this podcast with our sister Angela, Lord. It's uh, such an encouragement to see, Lord, all the work you have uh, done uh, in her life from the... Uh, from the moment of you saving her and her starting now, uh, just being really in the public platform, I just pray you'd continue to give her wisdom and discernment and direction uh, with her uh, sharing uh, her experience of what she's going through and be able to have her, allow her to continue to articulate the gospel clearly. And Lord, I pray also that this conversation would be a blessing uh, to her audience and those uh, that listen in. And we pray for all these things. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we take pleasure in you and the salvation that you have given us. Let us be, Lord, people who are thankful for our salvation, who remember what salvation is, Lord, that you took people dead in our trespasses and sins and made them alive together in you through your work. So, Lord, we can be thankful and not look for other ways to try to find joy, Lord, that we know your word says empty philosophy and deceit and knowledge according to the elemental spirits of the world are things that we will search for when we're not taking joy and thankfulness in our salvation, Lord. So let us please be thankful for what you have given us. You are a good God. You are a just God.
God. You are a righteous God, and we praise you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. You have given us the greatest gift of all, which is salvation in Jesus. We praise you for our salvation. We praise you for your humility. You took on flesh and lived that perfect life and died the death that we deserve, Lord. So we praise you and we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for preserving your word. We thank you for dwelling within us. Please conform us to the image of Christ. Let Lord the gospel be on our lips. Fill us with love for God and love for neighbor. We love you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. This is great. Praise awesome. God. Awesome. It was a pleasure. That was fun.